0: Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, there is a significant realignment in college football that has the potential to permanently change the entire structure of the sport. My name is Chad Wiley, and here to discuss that and much more with me is John Neckersov. And, John, how are you doing this week?
1: Chad, I'm doing pretty well. This is my first time talking to you uh on this podcast from a new apartment it has been a hot minute since we've done one of these but we are both back after many many vacations and family trips and moves and everything later we have returned to the uh to the virtual studio and i have a new uh brand new virtual studio which is exciting um and i'm just i'm just here enjoying life i've got got this place all to myself now and uh you know just just, just vibing per usual, cruising my way through, uh, through Peaky Blinders as uh, you are too, and maybe we can discuss at some point later. But that's kind of my current adventure. How are you?
0: I'm good. We're we're also using a new video chat for this. We are podcast. So frankly, I'm just hoping that this podcast actually happens. Um, everything <laughs> <laughs> when I end this call has actually like been recorded and goes well. So we'll see. no guarantees Things guys. Will happen. but 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 we are we are doing our best to
1: get this content into your hands after after a long hiatus. So here we are.
0: Yeah, I was traveling for the fourth of July and the entire week after had a good mm-hmm. fourth, went to Charleston, got to relax, finished uh, some books, a couple mm-hmm. of books actually. Oh wow have just been, what a reader Yeah, kind of just chilling and uh, good to be back. Excited yeah. to jump into
1: this. We've got a range of sports content to discuss today.
0: There's a lot going on. We're going to do a couple of current events things, and then, like I said in the intro, we're going to hit a lot about this college football realignment. That mm-hmm. is really a huge story, so you're not going to want to miss that. But first, John, I want to – well, my brother pitched a story to us that I think mm-hmm. we should talk about. We, we take story um, pitches. We do. We do, <laughs> and this is a really, really good one. <laughs> John, I have not done the math on this. However, if you just ask me my impression – if you ask me the question, how many beer commercials are there for ev- during every commercial break of an NFL game? Mm-hmm. I would say roughly, this is not scientific, but like 3.6 or something like that. There's a yeah, lot.
1: Yeah, I think that's valid.
0: But what you'll notice is that players, active NFL players are not the ones appearing in these alcohol commercials. And there's a reason for that. Because while the leagues and the teams can have official beer sponsors, While they can plaster beer logos on every single part of a stadium, Mm -hmm. and while they can advertise beer at every commercial break, there is an obscure and quite ambiguous rule that prohibits players from appearing in a commercial advertising an adult beverage. First off, before we get to the story, what do you think about that rule? Isn't that just the weirdest thing you've ever heard? That is, uh, so the fact that that rule exists
1: is bizarre to me. And then like, I kind of like, I thought about that and I was like Mandela affecting myself where I was like, have I have I really never seen an ad with a player in it? And I guess that's true. I mean, if you look at through all the Super, Super Bowl ads, you know, players appear in ads all the time, but I definitely don't remember one ever appearing in a beer ad. So I guess that's, I guess it's true. And... It's a strange rule because it's very odd. The the league is like directly related to all this. Like there's alcohol money everywhere. It seems like a yeah. strange. I don't know where that rule originated from. Maybe we should do some research on that at some point. But it just it seems odd to me, given that it's not they're trying. They're not trying to keep beer ads off the airwaves or something. Like strange. But anyway.
0: But in the wake of this this ongoing rule. There there is a, a, a recent phenomenon that once that took to Twitter on Patrick Mahomes' Twitter account. And it's a new ad campaign between with Patrick Mahomes and Coors Light. And you might say, but Chad, that's breaking the rule. No, it's not. Because Patrick Mahomes in this video is not advertising for Coors Light the beer. He's advertising for Coors Light the Light. As in a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> made by the Coors company that is apparently a real flashlight that since the creation of this ad campaign has completely sold out online. So already winning Coors Light. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen this video, if you just type in Patrick Mahomes Coors Light on any Google search or on Twitter or on YouTube, you'll be able to find this video. It is hilarious. I believe it deserves a screenwriting nomination at the Emmys for how creative it is.
1: Absolutely. I literally, I I think it's maybe the most creative ad concept I've ever seen. It's literally Patrick Mahomes, right? Holding a flashlight with the Coors Light Light logo on it, it, right? And just doing everything that you could imagine someone doing with a beer, but with a flashlight. And... Mm I don't know. It's just, it's just a brilliant concept and it's hilarious and it's just, I just would, they, they made the ad as if to say they didn't know about the rule. And then we're like, ah, shoot, we can't do this. We should create a flashlight, which I'm sure is not true. I don't know. It's just one of the most interesting marketing campaigns I have ever seen to work around a rule like that. And I hope, I hope, uh, I hope this ad continues to do traction because it may be the cleverest ad concept I've ever seen.
0: It's really, really great. It's, it's a really, really good ad, and it, it's, it was really funny. I enjoyed watching it, and it enlightened me on this very obscure and, I would say, quite hypocritical rule the NFL has, but shout-out to Coors Light for winning the internet for a day, <laughs> You win and shout-out to Patrick Mahomes for being yep, part of it. That was the great. The Crunching
1: Tackles Marketing Award goes to Coors Light this year. I just shout established it's hard it.
0: To, it's hard to transition from TV commercials to the more serious stuff we have today, but um, there have been some updates in the Brittany Griner case. This is our other mm-hmm. uh, current event. She pled guilty to uh, her charge of, I guess, drug possession in mm-hmm. Russia. She, right. We talked about this story, and she pled guilty, um, which means that she, you know, will be convicted, and there's a sentencing hearing upcoming. Um, she, I guess, she which currently is, is convicted. Ongoing
1: today, right now.
0: Yeah, and so the like you said the the sentencing hearing is today. I'm I think at least part of it. I think like they started okay. hearings today. I'm pretty sure. And from what I understand, this is a tactic that was, in part, part of her legal team strategy of getting her as part of a prisoner swap, a prisoner mm-hmm. exchange, uh, as happened earlier this year with a former U.S. Marine soldier who was exchanged for a Russian uh, prisoner here in the states because of his. Uh, deteriorating health. Um, by pleading guilty, it makes it easier to do a prisoner swap. There's two things I want to talk about. This first is the actual idea of the prisoner swap. And second is the just the reaction, the the ongoing and increasingly more vocal reaction to um, this story. And I think I want to start with that part. We've seen uh, Brittany Griner's wife. We've seen other athletes. We've seen the commissioner Adam Silver speak out more vocally about this. We've seen the White House and Joe Biden acknowledge this story more openly and publicly. John, why do you think that is and what impact has the increased publicity of the story had on Brittany Griner's situation?
1: Well, yeah, I think think the rise in publicity, as we talked about when the story kind of first broke and there was whatever discussion was happening was kind of talking about trying to not add as much publicity to this story. I guess in a sense it seemed in my mind and from what I was seeing like we were trying to avoid it becoming as high profile of a situation as it is right now simply for her, her safety and maybe potentially to make it a, a bit of an easier chance for her to get out of the country but it's now reached a point where it seems almost certain that well she had, she as you said she she pled guilty right and there's a the worst case scenario I think is that she'd be sentenced to 10 years in a penal colony, um, which I'm assuming means Siberia um, in Russian terms, which is kind of a huge deal, right? So the fact that intense international pressure is being applied now means that Russia now recognizes this is a very high profile situation, um, which makes her a high profile prisoner, which means that Russia gets more You know gets a more high profile prisoner in exchange for this kind of situation you know so it she's now basically become kind of a hostage in a large scale political situation right um i think it's interesting you know the i think it was her coach her wnba coach said that and people have said this you know like if the male equivalent if lebron was in jail right now in russia that this would have been escalated immediately um when it first happened to get her out and in a sense that may be true but i also wonder like how difficult of a situation that would be to deal with russia with him being such a cultural icon like i think russia might that would honestly even play into russia's hands it's not like russia cares about american public opinion about their athletes so i i feel like the u.s has tried to do its best it seems here and making sure the situation doesn't get out of hand. I guess the hope is just that the prisoner exchange goes well and she doesn't end up actually like being forced to do time.
0: Yeah, I think that that comment specifically by the WMEA coach kind of mi- really missed the mark for me because yeah. uh, that person attributed it to uh, Brittany Griner's uh, sex and gender, mm-hmm. which is frankly not the factor, given the fact that there are, well, there is one, and as a month ago, there were two male American citizens detained in Russia. Like, it's not like, oh, if you're a man, you get to, you, this it won't happen to you. It's a matter of celebrity, right? right? It has nothing to do with gender. The fact is LeBron James and Brittany, and Brittany Griner are different types of people. If, and But the same would apply to a woman of the same status as LeBron, like if Taylor Swift. right? Not that she would ever, right. But like, like it's, it, has, it has very, very little to do with gender. In right. fact, it has nothing to do with gender. It's about celebrity. And right, and be... Russia
1: doesn't care, you know, about any right. of those things. Russia is just, you know, causing problems right. around the world. Russia is at war, in right. a sense, with
0: the Western bloc. So. Right, and there are currently men in Russian, American citizen men, males in Russian right. prison as well. Who um, may potentially I, be part of that exchange, but yeah. I've been really uncomfortable with um, this whole situation, particularly the comments by uh, Brittany Griner's wife that she's made— particularly her direct appeal to President Biden. Um, It's an understandable appeal in which she basically said, I think she's like almost word for word, whatever Russia's asking of you, do it, like bring my wife home um, is is what she said to Biden. And I I understand that from her perspective, I understand why her only priority is the return of Brittany Griner. However, I don't think that we should be writing Russia a blank check to do whatever they want in return for um, this. And particularly, John, in regards to you mentioned part of a prisoner exchange, particularly in regard to who Russia is indicating they want back from this deal. I don't know if you're aware of this, but mm-hmm. I've um, seen it. They w- they want Victor Boot, who is a notorious arms dealer. Uh, he was sentenced. He was part of a. He was uh, arrested as part of a sting operation and was convicted in American prison, in American court. He's he's served most of his sentence, which is probably the reason why this could be a viable thing to do. But if you're young like me and don't know much about the story of Victor Boot, his nickname is the Merchant of Death. He is a notorious arms dealer who has provided weapons for terrorist organizations across the world. Mm-hmm. He is the inspiration for the movie for the movie Lord of War, which stars Nicolas Cage and- <laughs> I was like, that, was looking, that sounded not. familiar. <laughs> yeah. Lord of War. Nicolas Cage plays a character that is inspired directly from Victor Boot. So- this is this is not not a nice person, not mm-hmm. someone you want returning to Russian soil. But again, that's who Russia wants, and these kind of statements, when 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 Biden and when the White House is getting this kind of pressure, makes it more likely that in exchange for re- receiving Brittany Griner, we are going to be sending a, essentially a terrorist who was notorious for arming other terrorists to wreak havoc against the United States and other allies. So right, uh, that's what makes me just very very uncomfortable with with the whole situation.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely I agree that, that situation makes me uncomfortable and it's also just I don't know, the whole public response to the situation has been weird. LeBron released a trailer for like his upcoming uh, I guess his podcast The Shop that's coming out yeah, tomorrow it's, it's so an we don't HBO know his show. comments, yeah.
0: Mhm. Yeah, it had this this particular episode had I notably Marcus Rashford on it, but I don't oh, know nice. who was on it, but yeah. um,
1: But yeah, he he basically is quoted in the trailer as saying, how can she feel like America has her back? I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? And I'm just like, that is
0: such an L take, to use Gen Z terms. He has clarified his comments on Twitter. Again, I'm not defending LeBron on most of his foreign policy decisions, (laughs) at least. Um, He did... He did clarify on Twitter that, you know, he loves America or whatever, but yeah, this right. is a good... Where you're going with this is, is appropriate, I think. <laughs> he he did clarify that he loves America.
1: Nevertheless, nevertheless, yeah. I feel like it's a strange thing to say in this circumstance. Very you have yeah, very someone odd. who is literally imprisoned in Russia, who's being transported, according to reports, in a cage back and forth to, like you know, like hours on the road on her way to trials, and you're like, Man, she must want to stay there. I'm like, have you lost your mind? Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's real bad. Coming from coming from the person who refuses to speak about China basically in any situation and doesn't talk about dictatorial regimes, saying something like that is just ridiculous. So Yeah. Bad comment. Just, really bad. You know, it's just a small, small, small note, but bad comment. Disapprove
0: as LeBron. you said, an L,
1: an L. L take from LeBron.
0: Yeah, I again, the, as we talked about this the last time, but, you know, when the pressure on Biden increases, it only makes this a better situation for Russia. It only incentivizes Russia to do more of this in the future. Um, it obviously would mean that I would not encourage any American to travel to Russia for any circumstance at all. That's correct. Uh, but, yeah, I, again, I've expressed my discomfort with the whole situation, particularly— returning britney grinder for for victor boot um again like i said the only reason why i think that that might be not the terrible not the worst decision is that victor boot has already served the majority of his sentence actually like mm-hmm. i think a lot of it like 80 percent of his sentence and so gotcha. like he's gonna become free at some point point. and so if you're if you're only if you're only increasing that by a couple of years maybe right. but yeah i don't know it's just not good not good yeah John, you want to go ahead and take a break here and then we'll hit the big story and a little bit of Stranger Things talk yeah. uh, at the end of at the second half of this podcast. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We are back on Crunching Tackles, and we've got the big story this week. John, the, the big headline about this story is the fact that two Pac-12 teams are moving to the Big Ten, UC, USC and UCLA. This is in the wake with of Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC last summer. Um, what this does is it just continues to change the previous model, which is five conferences viewed somewhat equally, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Big Five. It wasn't, you know and now it is kind of turning into a big three, and really kind of a big two when it comes to football. Right. Uh, especially given the the other headline this week, which is that four ACC teams, including Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State, are at least interested in a move to the SEC as well. So uh, this is shaking up the conference landscape of college football, and it's gonna shake up football I think as this 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 is kind of just the the beginning of the dam bursting Mm. as we kind of move to a much much more consolidated power structure throughout college football
1: yeah i we've discussed this kind of updates on this story the just the general realignment story numerous times in this podcast um but this is you know another kind of cataclysmic move on side on par with the texas and oklahoma moves last summer in terms of what this means basically for what's essentially becoming a duopoly in college football conferences. Um, The SEC obviously has kind of dominated across the board most of the college football championships over the last few years, you know, with some exceptions. But the SEC and now adding in the teams that are on the Big Ten and those two conferences basically have, with the exception of Clemson, almost every major title contender um, within those two conferences, right? So we're kind of left with a situation now where the other three, you know, power five conferences are playing serious catch up. And basically this conversation is, I think, kind of looking at, you know, is there any potential of those three conferences ever catching up or are we going to see essentially a big 10 sec kind of almost like semi pro league with everyone else kind of in their own college ecosystem surrounding that college football system. Um, and there are, I think, a lot of a few teams that play kind of crucial roles in that and some financial questions that will kind of play into what we end up seeing. But, but we're in a very, I guess, volatile time for college sports. And I'm interested to see I'm interested to see what ends up happening because we could see, you know, conferences end up collapsing, I think
0: yeah one thing i want to note is that this obviously does not only impact football when right. when schools move that means all of their sports move mm-hmm. to that new conference but but in terms of what the school was thinking about when they're making these decisions let's be frank it's just football mm-hmm. they're you know the other conferences will just have to fit the other sports will just have to fit into the new conference this is a football decision uh, it doesn't matter how good usc's baseball team is or their gymnastics team this is a they want usc football Playing Ohio State football and Michigan football specifically, um, John. I think something that I think played a big role in this is the college football playoff format, mm-hmm. uh, and and specifically because of the sub, the subjective nature of it. When the BCS computer was determining the national championship game, that kind of meant that you know it was just kind of open to whatever the computer thought. Scheduling didn't matter as much. Things like that but given the specific criteria that the national playoff committee has indicated is determining who's getting into these playoff spots the conference you play in the strength of your schedule ends up being a huge factor mm-hmm. and so that's why there's only been two pac-12 teams i think in the playoffs mm-hmm. uh, okay. washington was one and i think there was another one i don't remember for sure um, the Big Twelve has been similarly, you know, unsuccessful. Where the championships have been coming out of the the Big Ten and the SEC, of course, and the the and Clemson as well. But I think as this happens, it's also going to start being worse for teams like Clemson because if the ACC is viewed as a significantly weaker conference, even if the AC, even if Clemson goes undefeated in that conference, mm-hmm. if they're viewed as the the clearly lower tier third conference. You know, we've seen multiple SEC teams make one playoff, and now it seems like that there might be multiple Big Ten teams making a playoff, and so there's a there's a there's an actual scenario where the college football playoff becomes the winner and runner up of the SEC versus mm-hmm. the winner and runner up of the Big Ten.
1: Right, and I think that is a serious issue, first of all. And what's interesting is so the. I kind of forgot about this entirely uh, until I was reading before this podcast, but I believe it was last year at some point, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 and the ACC came together and said, we are forming an unofficial alliance. And everyone's like, OK, what does that mean? And in, in essence, a large part of it from what I was reading um, on ESPN and some Sports Illustrated stuff was they came together to actually block a college football playoff expansion uh when votes took place on that so those three conferences were basically part of the block at the time that stopped that expansion um which plays into the hands of the big 10 now but the big 10 has clearly decided that that alliance is no longer of any interest to them after having poached the pac-12's two biggest teams leaving the pac-12 and the acc completely in the lurch so i think i don't know I, i almost wonder if the only way that this will remain viable for the rest of college football is if the playoff does end up expanding. I know there's been talk of a 12-team format. I think if we stayed with the 14 format, which I think we have for another four years, um, if we stay with it after that, I do fear for the long-term ramifications that that would have on the college football landscape in terms of the other conferences, because I think you're right. I think it would be almost impossible for them to be like ranked high enough to get in.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, if like, let's, like as a hypothetical, let's say Clemson goes undefeated, but then you've got two Big Ten teams who played these really big schedules. They played USC, UCLA, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. You know, I can list Penn State. I can mm-hmm. list it off. Let's say, like, there are two teams there who each went, uh, each lost one game to each other, and then the same thing happened in the SEC. You're saying that, like, why would you put in an undefeated Clemson over four one-loss teams with significantly better schedules. And again, mm-hmm. that's kind of the things that the committee have been considering. And I think the subjective nature of the committee is going to play a large role of that. They've said that they really value uh, conference championships as mm-hmm. a factor, which is why some conferences like the Pac-12 have actually introduced a conference championship, which they used to not have, just for the purpose of being more viable in these settings. But I, I still do share your concern that that's not going to end up mattering and that we're going to see a drop off, John. Do you want to react at all to the idea that I believe it was—I don't—I I saw the headline. I didn't save it. I think it, I know it was Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, and I think Miami, who mm-hmm. were at least I think it was Miami, teasing yeah. the idea of the SEC as well sometime mm-hmm. in their future. Why would that be beneficial for them, and what's kind of holding them back from just doing that right now?
1: Well, so I saw in the Tampa Bay Times, I think it was. I need. I don't know like what the details are if they can be bought out um but I, there is a long-term tv deal the acc has until 2036 that gives them a little bit more i guess time to work with you know there would be there would be a significant if you can be bought out of it a significant financial cost obviously to being bought out of that but i'm not sure you can leave so the acc may that may be a longer term play right that gives them time to negotiate stuff while the Pac-12's deal, I think, expires in the next couple years, which is why they're able to renegotiate that and move teams around. I think you know the lure is obviously that they think that their football programs can compete on that level and are brands worth including. If the SEC thinks their brands worth including in in the SEC, then that only helps their schedules long term to see well, more viable Clemson is
0: right. The other two more debatable, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or three, yeah,
1: especially at FSU. I don't, they wouldn't do well, um, right? I think this is where Notre Dame becomes a crucial piece of the puzzle. Um, I saw a, That's a great point interview with the AD of Notre Dame in uh, ESPN, and I've seen you know a lot of columns. I think one from the uh, the News and Observer actually, so in the North Carolina area, um, and a lot of them are talking about how. Essentially, Notre Dame is almost one of the crucial cogs in what happens next, because Notre Dame is famously independent right now um, and have given no hints about joining any other conference
0: as of right now. And have made and have made playoffs while being independent. Right. Which, they have which made is playoffs, huge.
1: Which is a big deal. Yeah. And basically no one else has done, obviously.
0: So it,
1: they have a obviously high quality program. Um, right now, all the other sports aside from football play within the ACC, so there's natural ties there. Um, and I think under their current deal, if they did join a conference for football, it would be the ACC. Uh, however, that may not be Notre Dame's best interest, right? So, you know, if the Notre if Notre Dame decided they were to join a conference and decided to join the SEC or the Big Ten, that is a major nail in the coffin for. A conference like the ACC, right? I think a lot of the ACC's hope in surviving as a viable conference and keeping a school like Clemson would be Notre Dame deciding to throw in with the ACC. I think that's a huge, that would be a huge asset for them and would make that conference way stronger if Notre Dame decided that their ties were worth maintaining there. I'm not sure. I don't know how how likely do you think that is uh, in comparison to one of the big conferences, but I think that's one of the only like actual survivable plays ACC can make at this point.
0: I think that's an interesting play. And I think Notre Dame is a big enough deal. Like they're on par with Clemson as a brand Mm -hmm. in terms of like their power in the situation. Again, I just, yeah, I, I, uh, we we were already having this conversation last year about specifically Clemson and the ACC and Clemson's strength of schedule. Like the ACC is just not not there right now. They don't have. There is not a second. Like again, who was in the who was in the ACC championship this year? It was like Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech or something? Like I believe. Was it really? Yeah, it was something really rare. I think Pittsburgh won the SEC or won the ACC championship or something. Oh, weird! It was, I completely forgot. Yeah, about it was that super bad. Odd. Yeah, and again, like they're just not—they're not there. They're not—they're mm-hmm. not there at all. I think that what I want to think about now is like, I think if you say, "Well, how do, how does this like get better?" People are going to say, "Well, you just go back to how it was ten years ago." Fair enough. But like realistically, if we if we take for granted that, that this kind of realignment is well, it's currently happening, but it's going to continue happening. Absolutely. What are are there any ways that you've thought about how this could not maybe not be salvaged? Because I don't think it's actually broken; it's just different. But what would be some of like the ways that this could be improved competitively mm-hmm. to 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 maybe slow down this this merging into one or two conferences and to to create uh, fairness across the board? So I think there are a couple factors in here. One is the competitive
1: nature of college football that I'm thinking about. And on that end of things, there's a sense in which I think this actually will be the realignment will actually be good for the sport competitively. Um, like you said, I don't think the cat can be put back in the bag. So I don't think we're ever going to get back to that kind of truly amateur, you know, scholar athletics um, place that, you know, like everyone always talks about is like the golden age of college football and whatever of having like, you know, it being a little bit less money-driven. We're not going to get back to that, especially with NIL rules arriving. But, you know, you've seen over the last decade or so that a few schools like Alabama and Clemson essentially have dominated the college football playoffs. Um, And they've won title after title. Obviously, Nick Saban has done a great job at Alabama in building programs, you know, consecutively. They're able to do that. But the problem remains that those You know, like few super schools have basically dominated the titles and in kind of a European soccer problem, you know, the schools with all the money are able to simply just outperform all the other schools through recruiting. Now through NIL stuff, it's I think it's just going to become more and more like that. So I think some of these, you know, big schools, but not like super schools like Alabama. Um, being able to kind of join in with the SEC, and so not like pool resources, but they're able to share TV money a lot more. I do think that that will create a little bit more parity, and we may see more schools from the Big Ten and the SEC perform at a higher level than we've seen recently. So I think in a competitive sense, I think that actually may, I don't know what you think about that, but I think that actually may help the sport to a degree.
0: I mean, my counter argument is that like Arkansas has been in the SEC. Right, and they've shown like no progress, <laughs> like Vanderbilt's in the SEC. This
1: is ob- this is objectively true.
0: Like, yeah, I I, I think it's an interesting point. Is like it certainly would help a school like Cincinnati, right? Right, if you were a mid major and then you get like that's huge. But mm-hmm. like, there are frankly like f- pretty floundering Power Five, Which even there SEC always is. football yeah, yeah, yeah. programs. Yeah, that's that's always going to happen. Right. A few things that I've been thinking about: if the NCAA decided this is not what they want to do. The best thing that they could do, quite simply, is to expand the playoffs to Mm -hmm. eight. Right. And then give an automatic bid to the champion of each of the five conferences and then have three at large bids. Right. So, say Pac 12, Big 12, ACC, SEC, Big 10, you each get one spot. Mm -hmm. And then, why wouldn't you want to go be the best team in the Pac 12 every year? Like, if you were USC, why wouldn't you want to stay and, like,. Right if you think you're that much better, get a guaranteed route to the playoff every single year. Like that'd be great for them. Right. That's not realistic, I don't think it's gonna happen because the, the whole point of the playoff is to get the four best teams, not not represent different conferences, and so, like, in theory, if they believe that the four best teams are all in the same conference, they should be putting right those four teams in. Um, a couple other things that I've thought about, kind of along the soccer lines, one would be to partner conferences but in a relegation promotion kind of way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, partner a big a, bi- a a power five school with a maybe like a group of five conference, and then have a have a kind of relegation system in that. So like Arkansas is last and Cincinnati's first in their conference. So just switch those two for the next year. Um, oh, I don't think. Interesting. Yeah, like yeah, like literally, you get to move conferences based on your performance. Hmm. And I think yeah you know, that's an interesting idea, but I, again. Like who are you going to tell the ACC that they're now a relegation conference? Like yeah, I just I, work? I
1: don't think anyone would ever like
0: agree. To you, yeah, the you lower. have to have
1: a un, unilateral agreement for that to work, right? Because the conferences have so much power right now. Yeah, like the NCAA has almost no
0: bargaining power. So I, I do like the idea, though. But my third thought, John, yeah. and this is something that I don't, I don't actually understand how this works. So you mm-hmm. have to explain it to me. But I've been watching the Nations League, mm-hmm. um, where I, I don't. You have to explain this well, but there's something like... There's like pods, right? Uh-huh. And like based on your recent success, you kind of get like put into a pod and then you compete against other people in your pod and then you can like move pods based on how well or how badly you do. Is that... Do you understand it any better than I do? Yeah.
1: So, it. I don't... I'll be honest. I also have not really done the... Uh, put in the mental effort required to actually understand how it works. But basically... Okay. Basically, you're right in that there are, there are tiers of in kind of this like multi multi-year um like almost like soccer international soccer friendly tournament right you have multiple like tiers of countries basically that are broken up into groups like normal like a normal tournament um and you basically only play teams in your tier and i think you can then if you win in your tier you then make it in some in some way you make it into the playoffs eventually and you have to play against teams from better tiers but you like if you perform well in your tier you make it to the playoffs and i think you may through some kind of calculation may move into a higher tier like you said
0: yeah so rather than like rather than do a traditional relegation promotion with a conference they could do something like that with tiers mm-hmm. where schools based on you could take their 5 years of past performances and start tiering them up and then you know, and then regardless of conference, you start putting people in the top tier. You kind of determine the playoffs based on that kind mm-hmm. of idea. I think that's an interesting idea that would certainly create more parity. Ultimately, what that would do is make conferences less important, right? Which I think is the opposite of what this alignment is trying to do. Mm-hmm. I think it's trying to make the SEC more important. Um, and again, I there there are reasons why the big schools like Alabama and. L- you know, LSU will never agree to any of these things that I'm proposing for mostly money and also uh, brand reasons. But when we're thinking about trying to fix this, if the idea is to restore it to a sense of parity, there there are options. And I, but I think the most likely thing is that you just kind of let this play out mm-hmm. and then see who the power brokers are at the end. And so you know if it if it is just the big Ten in the SEC, Maybe you just make the national championship game the winner of those two conferences. Right. Like there, there are things that they could do that would kind of restore the order. I think for money reasons, they kind of want to expand the playoff rather than put it back to two. Mm-hmm. Just, just have a national championship game. But I think this is going to just have to play itself out. It's just been a reality that teams get to realign their conferences whenever they want to and whenever they're invited to. And so when the dust settles, we just kind of have to see who the power brokers are. And how this kind of moves forward yeah I think one other issue
1: which you touched on earlier and I think is important to mention um, I saw a headline the the LA Times paywalls all their articles so I didn't get to read it but he was basically talking about how part of UCLA's decision to move um, was partially driven by the fact that they were finding it very difficult to fund their Olympic sports Um, and I think that Issue plays it will play a large role in a lot of these discussions moving forward because all of this is about college football, right? Yeah, all the money for You know schools other sports comes from college football and then to a lesser degree college basketball So I do kind of worry for the future of the non SEC Big Ten non football landscapes because But there's a potential that the financial viability of football programs outside those two conferences may become less viable. And when those football programs become less viable financially, that then puts basically the entire college sports landscape in serious financial jeopardy. So I don't know how doomsday that is, but that's just kind of something to keep an eye on and is something that worries me to a
0: degree. Yeah, I think it does to an extent and I think it doesn't to an extent yeah. because it does in the sense that, you know, the money from football, so football generates a profit, Right. basketball either generates a profit or breaks even and every other sport kind of takes a loss and is funded by the other two sports. Right. And so, so from that standpoint, yeah, what football conference you're in does have a direct impact on all the other sports. In the sense that it doesn't, is just the fact that conference play is significantly less important in every other sport. Right. Like, like... When you have a 68-team tournament instead of a four-team tournament, you you like you can get seven or eight ACC schools in the in the March Madness, and so right. conference conferences actually matter a lot less in the other sports, but the money in the conferences end up mattering. The
1: money is the money is what worries me in particular. Yeah. Not necessarily yeah. how the other sports will like fare, but just like will there be the money long term for all of them to survive? So I don't know.
0: Yeah, something we haven't talked about at all is kind of the NIL implications mm-hmm. of this. You know, what what is it what being an athlete in the SEC, how does that impact you? Will 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 that impact what kind of teams players want to go to, what kind of conference they're in. We can talk about that on another podcast, John. Any other thoughts about this story before we kind of get to a little bit of pop culture and wrap up here? I think we're about forty minutes in, so mm-hmm. two thirds of the way. I think yeah,
1: I I think those are my main thoughts, quite honestly. I think I think it's Like I said, I think a lot of this, the next steps hinge to a large degree, I think, on Notre Dame being one of the loose pieces of the puzzle right now. What do you think they'll do? Honestly, I mean, my gut says I think they'll stay independent for a while. I'm not sure they're going to go anywhere, especially in what they've said. What it seemed like the AD was hinting at is that if the college football playoff expands, like it seems like people want it to, they may see it's still viable to stay independent. I think if it doesn't expand, I think then there's a bigger chance that they'll end up joining either the Big Ten or the SEC. SEC but
0: yeah, I think I agree. I think the, Notre Dame's made two or three playoffs, mm-hmm. I think, and so it's not like they're being punished for staying independent. And I think as long as the committee, the playoff committee, continues to allow them to get a chance to be in while being independent, then they have every incentive to stay independent. And I think the only thing that would push them to a conference would be. If the committee basically said you have to be in a committee, you have to be in a conference to make the playoff. In which case, I would imagine that locationally they would go to the Big Ten. Right. Would be my Would just be my assumption then.
1: Yeah. So so Jack Swarbick, who is the the AD, basically said out and out. He said the three things would make continuing as an independent unsustainable would be, quoting, the loss of a committed broadcast partner, the loss of a fair route into the into the postseason, yeah. or such an adverse financial consequence that you had to reconsider. Um, so those are kind of the factors they're looking at, you know. And if any one of those three things happened, they'd move. If not, I, I'd guess they'd stay. So
0: Yeah, and I think I think the roots to the postseason is the biggest one mm-hmm. because the committee has continually affirmed them what they're doing by right. by putting them in the playoffs despite not being conference champions, which sport.
1: is unique given that he's actually on the committee, the yeah. only AD yeah. on the committee, which I did not know. That's true.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, John, it is uh July 14th. It is. It is 2 weeks post hence from the finale of stranger things season four correct a season television that you binged to catch up to I did and you finished it on time I did and um, we've had some time to sit on it and think about it and we haven't really talked a whole lot of mm-hmm. stranger things certainly it's not as much as we have Star Wars or Marvel on this podcast but let's do 1015 minutes on on stranger things what it, what what first off like what has the show meant to you, and then what has this season kind of Ooh. done for you?
1: I, I'll just be real. First of all, I've. I think we talked about it a little bit. I'm a very late comer to this show. Obviously, I watched the whole thing, coming up to the season four release. So it was a little bit. It was funny to be like watching it all in one go. You know, rather than having to wait for the season like everyone else. I don't know. The characters just really kind of have constantly stuck out to me in every season. It's just such like a. It's just like a, a warm-hearted show i guess like it's intense and scary at times you know but it has such like a, just a strong emotional core to it that i think you know any good any truly good show has to have you know like ted lasso we, we which we've raved about you yeah. know was so popular just because of a, a different emotional core but like you know just a similar feeling of like you feel the characters in a very profound way um, and I felt that way about Stranger Things for sure. There's just so many characters to love. Like I love the all the sci-fi stuff and thriller and you know like horror elements of it. But I think to me the biggest draw has just been like I don't know the spirit of the characters. So so I've overall I've loved the show, the music, the '80s vibes, um, and season four overall I thought was I thought was great. I there were some incredible moments. There are also some... I, I want to talk to you about the finale in particular because we've talked about it a little bit and I'm, I think I had a little bit more mixed feelings than I expected about the last two episodes. But overall, I thought it was a really strong season um, headlined by Eddie, may he rest in peace, playing, quote, the most metal concert ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it is my favorite season of Stranger Things. Oh, really? Season okay. four. I think so. The, the the things that I didn't like, I felt like the story was obviously split into four distinct parts, mm-hmm. which I think given the significance of the number four, as we learned in the finale, ended up probably right. maybe being an intentional choice that I will appreciate more on a second viewing, mm-hmm. having understood why. I think that was the only major weakness to me, though, was just that the story felt like four different things kind of running simultaneously Mm -hmm. without much cohesion until like the very, very end. Right. Um, which when you're watching it for the first time, I think did cause me to struggle a little bit, but overall I thought it was a really, really, really good season of television. I think it it was my favorite season. It had the best character development. It had some of the, you know, these kids are also becoming much better actors, Mm -hmm. uh, which, is, you know, that's a significant part of it as well. is just that they're they're getting a lot better. Right. And you can tell in the performances. Particularly uh, Noah Schnapp's performance is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blanking. The girl who played Max, what is her name? I've completely forgotten. It's fine. Uh, Max. Max, yeah. Her performance was incredible. Um, I'm going to Google her name just because I want to get it right here. Yep. So you, you talk for a second. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I... I... I see what you're saying, though, about the four different storylines. Um, and I, we talked about this before, but I thought it was interesting seeing kind of how basically the characters, like you said, that work together well were split off into the important storylines. And then the other ones were sent on random side quests into random places, which I thought was just kind of a funny twist. I, I thought, I thought Eddie... As a new character, did a fantastic job, obviously, and immediately got a cult following. He brought, single-handedly, brought Master of Puppets by Metallica back into the U.S. top ten for at least some time, which I'm which eternally grateful to him for.
0: Given how like polarizing Metallica is, as absolutely, a band. It, it it was amazing.
1: And then yeah. there's just swarms of people trying to gatekeep Metallica on TikTok, which was hilarious. Because then Metallica said, "Stop gatekeeping Metallica." <laughs> and I was like, "This is what we like to see in the world." <laughs> But yes, I loved I loved getting some metal representation in Stranger Things. That made me happy.
0: Yeah. So shout out to Sadie Sink. Sadie Sink. Max. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. 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 yeah um, so my MVPs do go to Noah Schnapp, yep. Sadie Sink, Joe Keery, and Joseph Quinn, obviously, respectively. Will, Max, Steve, and Eddie. Um, I do want to ask where the Eddie concert ranks, like, among your all-time <sighs> TV moments, because it's pretty high for me. That was some of the best things I've ever seen. On a television screen
1: it, it was one of the coolest if not the coolest moment in stranger things it was incredible it was just it was delightful just seeing him the shot of him like the, the concert itself was just amazing the fact that he played most of that song mm-hmm. himself mm-hmm. also amazing um, the shot of him once he's like getting ready to f- like his last stand against the bats Where he's like with like the freaking trash can and the sword or spear or whatever, and is just standing there with just like a a tornado of bats above him. I was like, this is something straight out of like Lord of the Rings. Like it was just so cool. So I don't know. Eddie, MVP moment for Eddie, it was one of the coolest things, like by far, I have ever seen. The solo, which unfortunately, the solo was not him, I found out, but Mm. uh, because he was just, it's very difficult. But um, just across the board, it was just, an iconic idea like the fact they, they wrote that into the show just makes yeah. me so happy
0: yeah I loved it it, w- it really was something that I like I didn't even like want to keep watching I just wanted to mm. rewind it and watch mm-hmm. it, just again. Watch it like, again the amount of times yeah.
1: I've listened to that song Chad is obscene since that since that episode came out
0: I've listened to the song like the Metallica version I've also just watched the clip a lot yeah just no it's like it's like in my scene. top
1: three songs of the month right now
0: what are kind of your unanswered questions about season well i guess no mm. first 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 you said that you had some mixed feelings and i think that had yes. to do with the ending yes yes, yes um, entirely entirely so the go name. go on that go on that so
1: i felt very i think emotionally confused by the ending was what i realized eventually was what it was because it was building up right to this really climactic moment where 11's fighting one um and max is like on the brink of death essentially and 11 has to like you know, reach the next level, um, and you're having like you know every kind of like character arc reaching its climax at the same time. It's like all four groups all of a sudden are like fighting for their lives at the exact same moment. You know, and it's building up to that tension, and it like resolves in this one moment where like you know like Hopper is like beheading the demigorgon, which was amazing, by the way. Um, you know, and Eleven finally seems to like kill one. Um, And it felt like that was supposed to be, like, some kind of emotional resolution right there. Um, And then it seems like he's, quote-unquote, dead. And then all of a sudden there's a time jump of, like, two days. And that, for me, was, like, super confusing, I guess, because I just assumed that, like, Vecna was not dead. And it seemed like they, like, sort of were acting like he was. And everything was just, like, kind of, like, peaceful and quiet. And then, like the ending, obviously happens, and they're like, "Oh, actually, the gates have opened."
0: But I, well, was I like, didn't get that impression because the body was gone, right? When they got out of the house, I
1: guess I was mostly confused by the gates. It was what confused me, because the okay. gates, the gates, all open, right? You have these gaping holes that are clearly there um, in the middle of the town, and then they're clearly open again at the end of the episode. But it seems like in some kind of interim period, like people were just in the middle of the town and didn't like notice them. You know what I mean? Like the fact, like it didn't seem like it was just an earthquake, you know, like it seems like there's these massive, like lava filled things that are opening up. Like unless everyone just like, yeah. can't see them for some reason that to me, like felt strange. And I just wasn't sure what to do with that. Like I wasn't sure what I was waiting for, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. My thoughts on the finale, John, Miss Marvel just finished this week. Mm-hmm. It's It's another Marvel show. And every Marvel show to date has been six episodes. And same with the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. And and the six episode run has always had a very sick has always had a very similar plot development. Episode right. one is the intro, episode two is the setup, episode three is a big, big, showy conflict, episode four is the aftermath, episode five is more setup, and then episode six is the finale. Mm-hmm. I thought that based on the way this show was being built up this season, especially the last few episodes, I thought that it was going to be an episode six, and it turns out that it was an episode five. Right. And so a lot of my feelings toward... Any negative feelings I have were not a matter of the show's execution, but were mostly a matter of my own expectations, mm-hmm. thinking that this was going to be a closure of some sort and realizing that it was actually just a setup Right. Yeah. for, exactly. for, for season five. Yeah. Which... If, if if I came to the show later and was binging the entire thing, mm-hmm. would seem normal to me. But when you have a, like a month in between episodes of the season, when it's being built up, th- you know this is getting like Marvel movie level press and right. you know, pre- you know interviews. Like this is being built up as the thing, and it ends up being the thing that leads to the thing, which is fine. Right. But was not what I expected.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a lot of it. Is there wasn't any kind of. Like the moment of resolution was that like moment where Vecna gets dissipated and Hopper kills the Demogorgon and you're like, oh, wow, we did it, you know? And then you're like, not at all. Not at all, you know, which is, I do understand it, but we also have to wait like two years now.
0: You know, we're building up to this big season five finale. Hopefully it'll come, hopefully the break won't be as long as it was between seasons three and season four, Mm -hmm. but it is going to be a while wait. What are some of the questions that you have? leading into the finale and we we could talk about mm. this later but you know we're gonna have years yeah, but we, in the we will have years lit-
1: literal years i'm definitely interested to see i'm interested to see kind of more of the connection between vecna and the mind flayer i think that's a big thing for me which obviously will probably be very large here but i'm interested at times there was a period where i thought that maybe like one created the mind flayer But it seemed like he kind of more just, like, seemed to have found it somewhere in the Upside Down. And, like, Um, allied with it. Right. So, because at one point I was like, oh, maybe all along one has just been, like, the entire creative force behind everything that's happened. And I think he was involved from the beginning of season one, for sure. But there was a period where I was like, oh, I was like, maybe he just has literally orchestrated every single thing as, like, the big brain. But it does still seem like maybe he is kind of like a, a face to the Upside Downs invasion of our dimension. Um, so, I, But I'm interested to see more of that connection if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, my my biggest question has to do with like the lore of mm-hmm. the show, because yeah. it doesn't have like a print source like a Marvel or a Star Wars or other products do. And so my question ends up being like, really like what is this power, where is it coming from, things like that. Mm-hmm. Because my theory that I, I don't take seriously but I like <laughs> is the idea that this entire show is just the first Dungeons and Dragons game from season one, episode one. <laughs> that, and that, that the show ends like with them in their season one, like at their season one age. Yeah, just ending the game like that, 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 Jumanji that style. Just, yeah, yeah. And so like it does seem like the lore is like I guess like Vecna is a game of is a not a game is a, like Vecna is a Dungeons and Dragons character. Again, I'm just, I'm just. That's not a world that I'm in. But Mm -hmm. I don't understand if the lore is like entirely contained inside D and D, or if there, like, yeah, I, I still have some confusion as a, as a non D and D player about (laughs) what exactly is the world that we're living in here. Right. Um, and if it is just one giant extended D and D game, like. That's pretty cool. That would be
1: hilarious. I w- that would be such a funny twist. Honestly, it would be disappointing because I feel like it should be actually happening. But it would be hilarious if it, if it was just a game the whole time. I think everyone would. Be, that would be like a lost level. I think everyone would be livid. I don't oh, think I that would, would love it. I don't I think that would lovable. go over well at all. No, I would love it. I know you might love it, but it would be a lost level. Did you ever watch that? No, I mean you could say Game of Thrones. And I get it because yeah, the same thing. It happened would be with a, game of Thrones. it'd be a similar thing where you're just like. Yeah. Are you are you for real? Are you serious? <laughs> this is how you're ending it? <laughs> i would be like- the only person like championing
0: it as an idea. I'd well, it's like
1: the the Monty Python, the famous Monty Python and the Holy Grail ending where, you know, like the whole movie is just cut short and the police like invade the set and arrest everybody and they literally just did it cuz they ran out of money to finish the movie and so they're just like, "Haha, this would be funny." You'd be just like, "Yeah." Good.
0: I guess like It obviously If they did do it It would have to be something That they had planned From the beginning Because they would have to, The mm-hmm. ending scene Would they have to, to be, be them the At the same age As they yeah. were in season one Which
1: I think they have planned The general arc of the story From the beginning I really do I'm think so sure. um, um, Briefly I have some important notes Most, The really important things About this show Are not the lore But really just the character drama um, I would like to add As a side note People have been calling For Eddie To be brought back to life I don't think that should happen. Agreed. I would just like to say. He, it was very sad, but his death is entirely meaningless if he is brought back to life. So I don't Agreed. support that. Just like I don't support Iron Man being brought back in any form in the Marvel Universe, like, whatsoever.
0: You could argue whether or not he should have been the one to die in the first place, mm-hmm. given how, Absolutely. like, com- com- But, like, once they make it, like, I, di- I didn't like kind of half walking back Max's death. Right. Yeah, that was a weird, I- that was a weird thing. It did feel
1: like she maybe should have died. Which should yeah. have been like terrible,
0: yeah, but what do you do
1: commit to it? yeah is my thought. yeah, exactly the uh, the Jonathan Steve Nancy trio annoys me. That's the other thing that I need to be resolved as soon as okay. possible
0: is this is the solution just to kill Jonathan?
1: <laughs> it may be. <laughs> I think he should have died in this past season, quite frankly, I agree,
0: <laughs> but it is what it is. He didn't have enough build up for it to be a death worth happening. Like the season one question, it was like it was like in Twilight. Are you team Edward or team whoever the other like, guy's name was? Like the season one question it's of two Things here. was was are you team are you team Jonathan or are you team Steve? And so and now, now that you're four seasons, in. everyone's
1: team Steve. I and think yet so. It's still happening.
0: Like, like I don't think there's a debate anymore.
1: No, no. Is anyone? I've not met a single person who's team Jonathan. I'll say it. Mm-mm. Not a Mm-mm. single person. So that's a thing that needs to be resolved because it's, it's a clean a, sweep. It's annoying me. The other thing that needs to happen is Mike needs to break up with Eleven immediately at the beginning of the season and they need to never speak again. Okay. <laughs> Interesting thought.
0: I know Will would love that. <laughs> it's not for Will. It's just for my own sanity. Yeah, I, Yeah, we've talked about how he's a much worse character when he's dating Eleven. Just, frankly, not much of a character every, at all. Every
1: time. scene where Mike is
0: with Eleven makes Eleven's performance less good. Yeah, it's fair enough. That's fair enough. Those are my only takeaways. Um, we'll get to. More. We'll have plenty more time <laughs> to talk about this in the lead up to season five. I'm sure in like two years, when this podcast is in its fourth year and Stranger Things comes to action season five, we'll have plenty to talk about then. Any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here, John? Because I, I have one, but if you have any, you can feel you, free. finish. Finish your thoughts. Okay, let me just let me go on a little a little thing here. Goodbye. Oh, I'm scared. As a society, we live in a. Society. Let me speak to the people who enjoy our Marvel content don't let the critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes determine what you go see and don't see. It's a helpful guide. It's a helpful, maybe, setter of expectations. But if you're looking at the the critics score on Rotten Tomatoes for Thor, Love, and Thunder and decide that you're not going to even go see the movie, I think you're missing out on something that is actually quite good. And we're not going to talk about Thor, Love, and Thunder because John hasn't seen it yet. But we, we will eventually. But I just want to say that the Rotten Tomatoes score makes no sense. Particularly... Given the score that Rotten Tomatoes critic score gave to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is a significantly worse movie than Thor: Love and Thunder. Oh, absolutely! I've heard. But has like 15 points better on the critic score. Are you serious? Yes, I just yeah. Just make you know, consult the critics. Mm-hmm. Yes, but but give it a shot. I think everyone like I I don't think Thor 11 Thunder is going to do well in the box office and I think it's because it's not going to get good word of mouth and people aren't going to go see it based on the score. And that makes me sad because it's not the greatest Marvel movie ever, but it's probably the second or third best movie of phase four. Mm. It's 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 really not bad. It's actually quite good at times. It has really, really good stuff in it. And I think that not a lot of people are going to see it, particularly compared to Doctor Strange, which is, I guess, the second biggest movie of the year and was quite frankly not good at all. I I would, it would be sad to me if Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness made significantly more money and has a significantly higher critic score at the end of this year than Thor Love and Thunder does. Right.
1: I think we need to dedicate an entire episode at some point to societal Marvel
0: burnout. You still haven't seen Doctor Strange, have you? Even though it's been on Disney Plus for like three weeks now. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I sit down at my TV.
1: Think About this, I sit down to my TV and I have two options before me. One, I can watch Doctor Strange in the multiverse of midness and be bored, or I can you watch Doctor of meh, <laughs> or I can go to the latest episode of the objectively superb BBC show Peaky Blinders, it's fair enough, and keep watching that. And so, so, like, I could watch Doctor Strange, but like, I've heard no reasons why I should other than the fact that it was made. Which is just like a terrible reason to see something, you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah. The problem with being mid is that it's not even worth watching because you know it's bad. Exactly. It's like 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 the opposite of Morbius, yeah. Morbius had an appeal to it. Right. (laughs) Which is I wanna see this train wreck. (laughs) This isn't a train wreck, it's just a train that doesn't move. It just it just sits there. It's just a train.
1: Yeah, it's it's, ju- ju- it's just a train. It's just a train.
0: <laughs> it's not a fast train. It's not a train wreck. Mm-mm. It's it's just it's a train. Just,
1: it's just a train. That's deeply disappointing. So, um, well, um, I'll enough. eventually
0: watch it. I John, guess. we're gonna have like I guess a couple weeks here with no Marvel shows, and also before um, before uh, the Lord of the Rings show, which is coming very soon. Is it August? What? August, John. Oh my! And I forgot so, uh, about, oh we we certainly could do a. What is going on with Marvel podcast? I think we should. I wanted. Yeah. It. Okay, that'll be that'll be a topic that we'll do in the next couple of weeks. I think that's <laughs> it for the podcast today. Yeah, I think we have given you an nice hour because we yeah. were we were gone. So you get a, you get a full hour this time. Congratulations to the listeners. Absolutely. Um, be blessed we'll be back next week I guess we're kind of returning to a normal schedule at yep. least I don't have any I don't have any big vacations planned mm-hmm. yet job. I'll be here I don't think okay so we'll we'll be back next week with a podcast on a topic about a sport yeah we will that, that's all I can commit to <laughs> that's at the what moment. we can
1: promise every week
0: <laughs> and until next week guys we hope that you all continue to be well and be safe and we'll talk to you later alright cheers guys